If you brought your Bible, please um, open up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Last week, we read the story of Jesus um, being visited by the, the Magi. Jesus was likely around two years old at that time. Uh, today we're reading another story of Jesus' earlier life when he was 12. If you'll uh, look along with me at, at these words as I read them aloud, verses 41 through 52. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Now when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to their custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting amongst the teachers listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his great understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. Heavenly Father, you give us the gift of your word because you know and we have experienced it as the, the, the word of life to us, the spiritual nourishment for us. And we need that meal now from you. Please, through your Holy Spirit, nourish us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, don't miss out on that last verse. Let's look at it again. And Jesus grew in wisdom, and in stature, in favor with God and man. That is a fascinating verse. Um, one of the reasons that I like it um, is not because I really understand it all that much. It's because it's, it's a reminder to me to, to stay humble and... <laughs> um, and, and how I relate to God, that, that God reveals himself to us, but there is great mystery in who God is. And, um, and the moment that I think that I have got God figured all out, uh, I, I need to, to uh, tread lightly and take a few steps back um, and a few steps down, for that matter. Um, so what this... This verse shows to us is um, if, if Jesus grew in wisdom, that meant 
that at time B, he had a greater wisdom than at time A. That Jesus was not all wise. Which is a fascinating thought. Now wait, Pastor, don't mess with my Jesus. I'm not messing with your Jesus. Um, I'm highlighting a very important truth about Jesus, and that is that the divine Son of God emptied himself when he took on human flesh, which is what the Apostle Paul writes about in Philippians chapter 2, when Paul writes that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped or hung on to or cling to, like it was the most important thing, but rather he emptied himself. By taking, he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of, of men. Now there have been those centuries ago, and still throughout the centuries, not just centuries ago, but throughout the centuries, uh, today even, uh, who, who say, okay, the Son of God couldn't have done this. It, it, he couldn't really have emptied himself because God can't do that. God can't empty himself. Jesus wasn't really human, in other words. He only seemed to be human. And this is actually a, a heresy um, that uh, was that has a name for it. It's called docetism. If you ever hear that word, docetism comes from the word that means to seem. So people say, ah, Jesus, he just seemed to be a human being. No. The Son of God became human, emptied himself of his God nature, emptied himself of his omniscience, emptied himself of his omnipotence, emptied himself of being all-wise. He had to grow in Wisdom. The 12-year-old Jesus, think about this, he was 12. He could hold conversations. He could eat all by himself and dress himself. The 12-month-old Jesus couldn't do those things. Couldn't really carry on a conversation with people. He had to grow in his ability to do that. Couldn't eat all by himself or dress himself. He had to grow in his ability to do that. And Jesus had to grow in wisdom as well. And as Jesus grew in wisdom. That, that great Luke 2, verse 52, says that God noticed this. He noticed that Jesus was on the right track. He grew in wisdom and in stature with God and with other people. Now, that's all fascinating. Why is this story in the Bible? Why does Luke include this story of the boy Jesus, as he enters into adulthood? Uh, well, one reason is to show the humanity of Jesus, that he didn't just seem to be human. He really, he was fully human. He shows us, Luke shows us, actually, let me rephrase that. Jesus shows us, Luke writes about this. Jesus shows us how real everyday life should be lived by real human beings. So for you, how should you live everyday life? We're going to see examples of that in Jesus from the story. What do we learn? One, uh, and this is kind of the big, the big point. If you're going to take one thing away, uh, take this. A relationship with the Heavenly Father is our primary pursuit. Uh, let's talk about how 
astonishing this story is by, by looking at uh, three parts of the story. First, the decision. Um, part of the tension of the story is from Jesus. When Jesus made the decision to stay in Jerusalem, either he knew his family was leaving, and he heard family members saying, okay, everyone, it's time to, to go home. And Jesus just said to himself, no, I'm staying here in my father's house. Um, or he was so focused on uh, visiting with the, the, the teachers about God that he completely missed his family leaving. One of those two things was true. And when, uh, when Mary and Joseph find Jesus, what do they do? Mary scolds him a bit. Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And that word for great distress means uh, to be tormented, to be in great pain. I mean, this was, she was in anguish. One might say Jesus was pretty irresponsible. So there's the decision of Jesus that creates tension in the story. Second, the search. Mary and Joseph searched for two whole days in Jerusalem before finally trying the temple. And that is, that's really interesting, um, as is the fact that Luke mentions this was a three-day search. Did you catch that in the story? On the third day, they found him in the temple. Um, when, when you, why three days? Why, why finding him on the third day? When you lose your keys, what do you do? Well, you think, where have I been? And I'm going to go to those places that I've been, and I'm going to look for my keys. You, you go to your most recent steps, right? Um, this reminds me a bit of um, a, a scene, a scary scene for Melissa and I uh, at SeaWorld. Many years ago, we lost Susan and Luke, my two oldest kids. They're 24 and 22 now. We lost Susan and Luke on the Lazy River, and they were just little bitty, I don't know, like five and three, maybe six and four. And I promise you, it led to one of the most panicked three or four minutes um, that Melissa and I have ever experienced. But when that happened, we didn't run to some other part of the park looking for Susan and Luke. We were like, okay, we lost them here. This is where we were. We stayed there at the Lazy River until we found them. You usually go to places that you left when you lose something. Why did Mary and Joseph not go to the place of the festival, the temple, when they went back to Jerusalem? I don't know the answer. Other than for them to be, uh, to kind of set up the story for us, to be examples uh, for us, so that Jesus could say to them, look at what Jesus says to them in verse 49, why were you searching for me? I mean, they were hunting around for him for two or three days. Why, why this crazy search, mom and dad? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Uh, or I think that the New Living Translation captures the intent of Jesus' question a little better uh, by putting it like this. But why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? They were frantically searching for days, but they didn't need to be. 
And then there's the lesson of the story. This astonishing story is here ultimately so that Jesus can show us something. What does is, what is Jesus show us? Um, well, it's about the Father. You know, in the New International Version, what we used on the, on the screens there, um, it says that Jesus was in his Father's house. Jesus had to be in his Father's house. Your translation may put it a little differently, that Jesus had to be about his Father's business. Both are acceptable ways of understanding Jesus' statement. Jesus had to be about his Father's house or his Father's business. Either way that we understand that, here's what we see. Jesus' top priority is his relationship with his Father. And Jesus may make us feel a little, bit, a little uncomfortable about how high he places that priority. See, we like the idea of Jesus causing no trouble for his earthly parents. We like that idea. You know, this, this, you know Jesus was a well-behaved kid. We like that idea. You know, the little Christmas carol... That unrealistic statement, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Of course he was crying. We, we like to think the 12-year-old Jesus, no trouble for his parents. Did he make? But he did create some trouble for his parents because of how high of a priority he placed his relationship with his Father in heaven. What is most important to Jesus is having this deeply intimate, personal, trusting, growing relationship with his Father in heaven, his Father. Now this is, when when Jesus said this, it's kind of a revolutionary thought for the Jewish people. And that's why in verse 50 it says that Mary and Joseph didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Didn't we know that you had to be in your father's house? What are you talking about, Jesus? Your father is right here, Joseph. Then Jesus says, yes, but I'm talking about my father who is in heaven. See, in the Old Testament... Uh, God was thought of as the father of Israel. Israel, the nation, was God's son. But for Old Testament Jews, it was not customary for an individual person to think of God as his or her personal father. So Jesus is relating to God in this revolutionary way. Jesus Uh, does not say, um, didn't you know that I had to be in our father's house? He said, I had to be in my father's house. And what Jesus is showing is, you can know God as your father. Uh, The Heidelberg carries this home for us when it says that God, through Christ has become our Father. That's good news. And we can use that language a little thoughtlessly, I think, claiming God's God's Father, Father God, Heavenly Father. 
So we need to listen this morning carefully. Through Jesus, God has become your Father. Through Jesus. That means you have a glorious inheritance from God because you are God's son or daughter. It means you have received God's personal love, not his common general love that he just pours out on the world, his personal love and delight because you are God's son or daughter. Jesus emptied himself. He lived the life that he lived, and he died the death that he died so that we could become children, so that you could become a son or daughter of God and know him as Father. That happens through Jesus as we put our trust in Jesus. So that's the first big important point from this story, that our, our, our pursuit of God as Father needs to be our primary pursuit. So how do, we, how do we live that out? This is an everyday story of Jesus, just a day in the life of Jesus and his family in the temple. Let's talk about a few everyday ways to pursue God and his business. So a second thing that we learn from the story, a key context for growing in faith is the family. See, another... Interesting and important detail in this story is Jesus' age. He's 12. When a Jewish young man turned 12, that started a very important year for, for him. He would spend that year under intentional um, mentoring from his father. He was to learn from his father in every way what it meant to to grow and mature into adulthood. Um, Jesus giving priority to his heavenly father in this story, and that's what he does, in no way is a knock on the significance of Joseph's role in Jesus' life, nor Mary's role, helping to shape Jesus' faith. Look at verse 41. It says, now his parents went up to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Every year. It was their custom, we read later, as as was their custom. Did Jesus gain from his parents' spiritual habits? Yes, he did. Absolutely he did. So children, let's address children and parents. Children, children. I see a few of them over there. Um. Do not neglect learning from your parents. Do not neglect learning from your parents. Jesus learned from his parents, and so should you. We see in Mary and Joseph and Jesus uh, what parents practice, their children practice. What parents do not practice, their kids do not (laughs) practice. So parents... Helping your children grow in in their faith, that is doing the Father's business. Helping your kids grow in their faith. If you think it's a good idea for your children to go to church, if you think that's a good idea, and if you want them to continue with that into their adulthood, you need to set the example 
for them now in coming to church. That's how kids continue in that practice by parents setting that example. Um, I often wonder where I would be if my parents had not gone to church almost every single Sunday when I was a kid. There was no skipping, and I, I, wanted, to, I wanted there to be a skip day, and there just never was a skip day. Uh, but I learned from my parents. And a third thing we see in this story, um, I'll have to explain this a bit, but let's begin with a point. Faithfully doing your work is a way of faithfully serving God. So let me explain that. How do we see this in this story? Uh, Let me ask you, after this story, how old is Jesus the next time he appears in the Gospel of Luke? Around 30. So you, you just skip a few verses. It talks about John, chapter 3, Luke, talks about John the Baptist. And then you get to, I don't know, verse 20 or so. And then Jesus is reintroduced as a 30-year-old individual. There's 18 years between chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Jesus' life. Now, what was Jesus doing for those 18 years? He's just doing every, everyday life. He was learning a trade from Joseph. He was practicing carpentry. He was building stuff, building furniture and cutting stone, building structures. Um, And he was still growing in wisdom and in stature. The the verb tense of verse 52 in Luke chapter 2, it implies that Jesus didn't stop growing there at verse At age 12, he continued to grow in wisdom and in stature. He continued to mature as an individual. He continued to do his work as a carpenter in a well that pleased God. He did his father's business as he did his work as a carpenter. So... um, how do you do that? How do you do your father's business as you do your work? Or as you go about being, let's go be a student. Maybe you're, maybe you're not working for employment, but you're a student. Um, how do you do that? Three thoughts. Commit to doing your work well. Doing your work well is a benefit to all. If you're teaching well, your students, they benefit. Your co-teachers benefit by you doing your work well. Your administrators benefit by you doing your work well. If you're working at a company or business, you know, you, you, your, your clients will benefit when you work well. And then if your clients are businesses, then their customers and clients benefit from, from them being able to do their work well because you are doing your work well. Um. God wants work to be done well so that humans can flourish. Does God care about human flourishing? Yes, he does. I want to to take us to an example from the Old Testament in this. Jeremiah chapter 29, when the Israelite people were carried away into exile under God's sovereign work into Babylon, God had an important message to the Israelite people living in Babylon. Uh, Here's what he tells them. He says, Settle down for a while. 
Grow your families while you are here in Babylon. Plant some gardens and enjoy their crops. And then look at what he says in verse 7. He says, Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Seek the common good. In other words, pray to the Lord for the common good because if it prospers, if the city prospers, you too will prosper. God wants work to be done well so that collectively the community can flourish. Jeremiah tells people, strive for the common good. So we should be doing our work well for the common good of the greater community. Commit to doing your work well. Commit to doing your work ethically. Just a statement on that. This means don't take advantage of others, particularly those who are less powerful or who have less influence than you do. That's probably not in all that we can say about working ethically, but I think that's probably the most important thing we can say about ethical work. Don't take advantage of others, especially those who are uh, where there's an imbalance in power and you're on the greater end of that. And three, think about this. Consider that God is already at work in your work. Believe that God is already present and bringing about his purposes and his kingdom growth in your workplace or in your school for that matter. Um, I don't know if you think about that much. I do know this. It's pretty easy to slip into kind of the routine of life, whether at work or school or whatever, just kind of the routine, going about my life. Um, December is a month that isn't routine with all the Christmas celebrations and fun. January, eh, it's back to work, it's back to school, back to routine. And I'm wondering if Mary and Joseph, for them, if their life had settled into a bit of a routine, because it had been, what, maybe 10 years, 8, 10 years, since the visit of the wise men, which, which we looked at last week. Since their journey to... To Egypt, as they fled Egypt to protect Jesus and, and their, their return. I mean, it's been a while since that crazy stuff had been happening for Jesus and Mary and Joseph. And I'm wondering if that's yeah, kind of routine. And then the scene at the temple happens. And once again, Mary has something new to treasure in her heart. And she sees this routine visit. It wasn't so routine, was it? God was at work. God is at work in your everyday life, even if there aren't any mountaintop experiences going on. Remember that God is at work. Peter Kraft, um, in his book on prayer, writes that God will be relentless in strengthening our faith in him. And uh, Kraft writes that sometimes God will seem absent. Intentionally, God will seem absent. Crave says that God will, he puts it like this, he'll hide from us. Why? God will hide from us so that we won't be dependent on our emotions all the time 
And so they, we will learn that our emotional feeling of God's presence should never limit our faith in God's presence. God intentionally will hide himself so that we will grow in our faith. And maybe this is a time for you to exercise that. It's kind of seeming like the routine. God, what, what's going on? I, I can't see anything. I can't see where you're at work. Trust. Trust that he is. God is always at work. Believe it. Well, that's the fascinating story of the preteen Jesus. It's a little weird. Um, it's interesting. I don't know about you. I don't think it's particularly fun to read. It's kind of disturbing. It's disturbing to think of that moment when Mary and Joseph are on their way back to Nazareth and they realize, uh, Jesus isn't here with us. That's kind of terrifying. It's a little disturbing to think of Jesus clearly breaking some code for well-behaved kids by staying behind at the temple, you know. But the story tells us that for Jesus, the Father's business had a serious business. And the sooner we realize that, the better for us. Because we need to know that Christianity, what is Christianity about? Christianity is about following Jesus. Where? Into his Father's business. Jesus will drag you there if you follow him. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we are in awe of you. And even as we read this story of when you were 12, um, seeing your wisdom, your insight into what is truly valuable, and that is this walk with God, this trusting, abiding, deeply relational, loving, affectionate, personal walk with God, how important that is for us. Lord, we want to give you thanks for those times when we do have those emotional moments when we're like, oh, you are here. We thank you for those times, but also we thank you for the times when we, our emotions don't tell us that. Because we want to be freed from our emotional dependency on these spiritual highs. Thank you for always being our, our Father. Help us to trust in that. Help us to um, find great strength and peace in that. And if there is a person here who does not know you as Father, that deeply personal way, pray that even in this moment, that in their soul, in their being, they would reach out, that you would tug at their heart, that, and they would know that you're reaching out to them, and that they would respond by just putting their faith in you and trusting in Jesus Christ and receiving that relationship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.